Uh, Abba Father, thank you so much for what you're doing uh, and how you've brought encouragement to me today and uh, how I've seen you literally at work in people's lives. Would you please bless and encourage? Uh, teach us what it means that you are our way, our truth, our life, and to understand the full message of the gospel. Uh, thank you that uh, Dave's back. It's good to see you. Pray your blessings down in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so we're going to focus in on this, the final portion of this bigger paragraph that begins in John thirteen thirty six. So let me read again, verse 1 down to 7. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Lots of theological density here. Lots of theological nutrition. And um, I want to comment first about verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way. We do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Uh, Thomas is now featured as the group representative. Previously, it was Peter. And he made the grand pronouncement, I will be loyal to you even to the death. And Christ uh, presents him, predicts that he will be the second great betrayer. Judas being the first. Peter being the second. So two men are predicted as being betrayers. And now Thomas is presented as being the spokesman of the group, uh, just as Peter typically is. Uh, do you recall uh, what Thomas, what his nickname is? The doubter. The doubter. The one who doubts. And what's that? Didymus. Yeah, Didymus. And Thomas is the one that, uh, upon seeing Christ incarnated after the resurrection says, I, in summary, I don't believe it's you, and unless I see the wounds and touch the wounds, I'm not going to be convinced. And then Christ honors that and extends his hand and his side and, and lets him see the wounds, even touches the wounds. And then you have this phenomenal confession, and, and it says, Behold my Lord and God. And Jesus says, uh, you believe, you know, wait. There are people who are going to be, believe who don't see. You, you see, you believe. There are people who do not see and believe. It's an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. So, so Thomas is, is presented as asking a key question. What I want you to see is a really unique parallel based on what happened in verse 38 of chapter 13 where Peter is exposed as being the next betrayer. And in verse 1, 
do not let your heart be troubled, that that's actually a direct response to Peter's, uh, Peter's uh, verbal, verbally courageous loyalty, but in all actuality he's exposed as being a liar and as being a traitor. And Christ answers directly to him, do not let your heart be troubled. And even though the pronoun your is plural, it's in direct response to Peter. It's as though he's looking Peter in the eye and answering the whole group. But watch what happens at verse 5. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, he's actually talking to Thomas. Specifically, that is a singular pronoun, autos or auto. He is not addressing the entire group, but specifically says to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, like Peter, is Thomas representative of the group? Yes. Is Peter representative of the group? Yes. Did they all pronounce loyalty? Lord, we'll all go, we'll follow you to the death. They all said the same thing. But it's beautiful language that Jesus is actually specifically addressing Thomas, the doubter. Now, what if... what the singular through the pronoun? Uh, not in verse 7. It shifts to the plural. And verse six. But in verse 6, Jesus said to him, Auto, that is singular. So he's actually talking to Thomas. Now again, though, is Thomas the collective representative of the group? Yes. So in a way, he's generally responding to all but he is specifically looking at Thomas and answering his question. I think that is tremendous that Christ is giving Thomas that kind of focus. Now then, in the same way that I believe Jesus knew Peter was guilty of pathological fear and that sometimes the guys who are the loudest, the most braggadocious, and who offer the boldest claims of loyalty are the guys who are the first cowards. <laughs> well, I'm going to do this and that. If I ever get in a fight with him, I'm going to do this. And when it comes to facing off with someone, they, they tuck tail and run. I think there's pathogenic fear in Peter. Jesus knows that. And that's why he says, right on the heels of his claim, do not let your heart be troubled, Peter. In keeping with that, I think Jesus knows that there's pathogenic doubt in Thomas. He already knows it. And so he says to him specifically in the singular, Thomas, I am your way. I am your truth. And I am your life. You've got to settle this issue. I think it is amazing. Now, is there something we can draw in, into a discipleship? Concept, absolutely. Uh, I'm encouraged that the Lord Jesus Christ knows my issues before they're brought up. <laughs> and he's already at work in my life addressing my pathogenic issues before some grand crisis. He's already addressing needs before they, they're brought up. That's called a prolepsis. This is proleptic discipleship, if you want to fancy place to hang your hat. It's proleptic discipleship. He's addressing a problem before it arises. 
And by the way, he does the same. Paul does the very same thing with the church at Laodicea. There are matters addressed. When Paul writes Colossians, it says, you make sure these things are read in Laodicea. By the the time John writes the Revelation and the critique of the Laodicean church is given, they have the harshest, harshest criticism by the Lord. And if you read Colossians, if the Laodicean church had listened to what was given to them proleptically, prolepsis, to address beforehand, to answer a matter before it comes up, proleptic discipleship, to address it beforehand, they would have not received this harsh criticism that you have left your first love. Does it make sense? I see, I see this beautiful care, pastoral care going on here that Christ is answering proleptic discipleship needs in Peter prior to and does the very same thing with Thomas. I think it's amazing. Um, so let's, let's get real picky here with uh, verse 6 because this is one of the most famous verses in all of John's gospel right up there with John 3.16. And I I don't want us to miss anything here. So Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to uh, the Father but through me. So let's look closely at this this language first. Let's do some technical Greek. You you guys are are more than game for this. So uh, let's do a direct translation. Uh, It's pretty close in English. So this term, what's that? Go ahead. There you go. Um, Boy, you're knocking it out, girl. You're good, so check it out. First word is says. Says. Okay. Says to him. Saying to him, the Jesus. We don't use the definite article, so that's you just kind of skip over that. So saying to him, Jesus. Ego Amy. Whenever, whenever you see Ego Amy, that is I am. And that is your clue that Jesus is going to make a parabolic statement, a statement that has everything to do with his true identity. I am. It's what, uh, it's what you see. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And I am the living water, I am the life. All through John's gospel, you have some of the most famous parabolic statement, these big Christological titles that I am, I am, I am. And David, it harkens back to Exodus when Moses is commissioned to go uh, lead Israel out of bondage. And Moses says, under what name, what's the, what name? And God says in Hebrew, I am that I am, and in Hebrew, it's called the tetragrammaton, the tetra four, the four letters which form the name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H-Y-A, or Yahweh, depending on, on how you handle the Hebrew, which addresses the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense of God's existence. I am that I am. I was, I am, and I shall be. So when Jesus borrows that language, and in Greek, it's ego, as in ego, like we all had ego, ego defenses, 
Ego Amy, he is saying, I am. I mean, this is big stuff, all right? This is a heavy, Christological, parabolic statement. He's giving a title that functions as a doctrinal story, parabolic statement about his character. So, uh, saying to him, Jesus, I am the way, hadas. I am the way. Now, watch closely. Whenever you see that right there, that's Kai. That's your coordinating That's and. Watch this. So, saying to him, Jesus, I am the way. And then you have two coordinating conjunctions. And the truth and the life. So, an interesting grammatical rule kicks in here uh, that might bend our thinking just a little bit. And it looks like this. Pop it over here. All right? I'm trying with my technology, people. Here we go. All right. So here it is again. Saying to him, Jesus, I am the way and the truth. I'm sorry for my typo there. And the life. All right? Check it out. Are we dealing with three major concepts that are all equally load-bearing? or one singular concept, and the next two are supportive of the first. Exactly, I've already given it away. These two conjunctions, chi, chi, are actually ep-exegetical, real fancy word that means, in, in scholarly language, explanatory. They're given to kind of explain and, and blow up the meaning of the principal concept that he is the way, Hadas. He is the way. In other words, he is the way, and as the way, truth and life naturally follow in that way. It's not three equal statements. It's one principal statement with two supporting concepts. Does that make sense? No. It's about the way, the way, the way. No, because I yeah, 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 yeah. The, here, it would work the way you're thinking if there was an additional and, and there's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not, these are not appositional, equal weight. Yeah. Now, can you and I theologically push that and say, is he truthful? Of course. Is he live? Of course. Sure. But in this instance, our, our, our paradigm, we've heard this so much. I am the way, the truth, the life. I mean, you've heard that from the pulpit for decades and decades. But it actually doesn't quite flow that way. Uh, it is literally capital W with supportive truth and supportive life up under it. Is, is, I think the way that John is intending us to receive it. Makes sense? So, okay, let's see if I can go back there. Very good. Um, so, when you, when you hear this language, and, and now that you're getting it in a bit more intense form, that he's the way, we are talking about a point of access. Jewish people, the Jewish thought world, how they understood their narrative thought world, was very spatial. In other words, there are certain days 
that are different than other days. There are special days, holy days. We call it a holiday, a holy day, a holiday. But then there's common days, and they're different, right? There are places that are very, very special. There's ground you're allowed to stand on. There's ground you're not allowed to stand on. Things are very special. Were you allowed to stand on a walkover cemetery? No, not supposed to. No, not at all. Okay, where, where are you supposed to be on on Sabbath? <laughs> at home, and that's it. And <laughs> not doing anything else, you know. And so the Jews thought in very spatial concepts, very concrete concepts. So when Jesus says, "I am the way," I am the way. Thomas and others automatically think in very spatial terms that there must be a map. It's like, I don't get this. Where's the, are we talking about geography here? What are we doing? It's as though they're thinking in geographic terms when that is not the case at all. This way, this hadas, literally is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way. It's not a geographic map like the King's Highway that runs north and south through Israel, through Palestine. It's not that. He is literally the means by which we connect. We have access to the Father. Are you familiar with the function, the social function of a cup bearer in the King? What's the task of the cup bearer? Make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. He is the one that has unique access to the king, right? And the cupbearer or someone like him literally manages the door and who is allowed in to the presence of the king. This is the kind of language that we should, imagery I should say, that we should lay hold of. That of a cupbearer that has unique access to the king and that we, through the cupbearer, can walk in. Now, guess who can bypass the cupbearer and guess who can bypass some high-level official with a badge and a sword to get to the king? Take a guess. Think really simply Think in familial language. A son or a grandson could barge right in and crawl up on daddy's lap or granddaddy's lap, whatever the case may be. And it's actually, um, there's historical references that support this, that of children, the children of a great king might waltz in and demand things of their father. I'm, I'm going to go play with Billy and Joey and Johnny, and we need so-and-so and so-and-so. Can you please give it to me, Daddy? And he does, because he's a son or a grandson. And the king gives the boy the treats or what he's requesting, and off he goes to play with his friends. That's the idea that John is communicating, that Jesus Christ gives us that unique point of access to God the Father. So can you, th- can you hear the echo, Andrea, of Hebrews 4? We can come boldly to the throne of grace, bypassing the cupbearer, bypass- bypassing the guard at the door, 
and we can crawl up on dad's lap and we can request things from him and he will gladly give us give us things i was confused because i was seeing jesus as a well in a way that that's a very good metaphor as well that is equally valid uh imagery without going through the cupbearer yeah absolutely the chief of staff uh, yes 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 in fact look at this terry this is good uh let's let's can we cheat and fast forward no, we can't do this. All right. Look at verse 12. This is 14:12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So it says that he's the king, ready to give his son or grandson the toys he wants but you're also right uh, Terry there's lots of metaphors he's the bread he's the door he's the good shepherd you know he lays down his life for the sheep yeah lots of rich and that's the whole point rich imagery is being communicated here oftentimes lost on our American cultural paradigms how we tend to see things so yep that's very very good um, so uh, um Regarding truth, there's um, roughly 30 references to, to the idea of way. I am the way in John 1 to 12. John 1 to 12. But 13 to 21, there's about 12 references to truth. And so it is argued that that there's a real strong <laughs> missions purpose about, about John's gospel. 31, 30 plus references to, to uh, the way, Christ has the way, a point of access. And then the last few chapters uh, is truth. 12 instances. Um, look at, um, let's look at two supporting verses. Look at um, John 6, 44. Uh, Philip, can you read 6, 44? That'd be good. <clears throat> Andrew, could you read 6, 65? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. And then, then there's 665. Uh, and he was saying, This reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been raised and given to the Father. Okay. So, who's coming to who in these two references in chapter 6? How do you reconcile John 6, 65, 44 and 65 with John 14, 6? How do you reconcile those things? It's like a mutual 
excellent word. God has to reach into our hearts and then Jesus is allowed to come in and then once we understand our relationship with Jesus then we have access to the Father who is in This is good. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? Mutual is good. There's a level of mutuality. It's as though God is our point of access to Jesus in John 6, 44, 65. But in 14, 6, Jesus is the point of access to God. So which one is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is, there's mutuality. You get one, you get the other. That's John, boy, that's heavy John theology. He does that. You get one, you get the other. In fact, look at Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. Uh, Dave, you want to read Matthew eleven twenty seven? 27? All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom... The son chooses to reveal him. Mm-hmm. Yep. To get one is to get the other. So let's let's conclude with this. Something that I want you to appreciate. There is a concept that thrived in the ancient world around honor and shame, and that is caused called authorized agency authorized agency here's the idea when someone is sent on a mission by an authority figure by the employer by the boss by the king by the owner and you're commissioned to go you go as an authorized agent of the sender so that when you walk in the room It is though the sender is in the room, right? Think of it this way. When the Apostle Paul dispatches Timothy or even Phoebe in Romans 16, dispatches someone on his behalf, that person is an authorized agent of Paul. And when that person, Timothy, Phoebe, Epaphroditus, Titus, whoever it is, walks into the house, It's as though the Apostle Paul just walked in. Do you get it? It's called divine agency. It's also another way of saying it is parousia, which is a Greek word that refers to, Carla, the idea of arrival. When is is Christ coming back? When is his parousia? When is his return? Uh, So when an apostle arrives... He is bringing the authority with him. Oh, by the way, uh, Justin and Andrea... I talked to Andrea FaceTime this morning, and at the uh, at their church, St. Nicholas Cathedral in downtown Durham, which is like hundreds of years old, you know, um, they just hired their new pastor, a brand new guy. Guess what his title is? Vicar. Oh, sure. Sure. Now, these are, these are Anglicans, okay? They're not Catholics, they're Anglicans. Vicar. What does the word vicar mean? Uh, ambassador. Ambassador. Representative. Representative. Is that tied back to the word vicarious? 
Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And what does it mean? In place of. One of the titles the Pope bears in a Catholic church is the vicar of Christ. In other words, he represents Christ. He's the next best thing. He is the authorized agent. And when the Pope is in the room, it's as though Christ is in the room. Right? That's the very title that Justin and Andrea's new pastor bears. He's the vicar of St. Nicholas Church in downtown Durham. Right? Vicar. Now you're getting at it, okay? This is authorized agency. Make sense? All right, now, I want you to appreciate the, uh, this horrific scandal that we see in Matthew's gospel. Everybody turn to Matthew chapter 22. This is the parable about the vineyard. Okay, the landowner. Now, again, please appreciate the cultural backdrop of authorized agency in an honor-shame culture when the one that is commissioned to go, when you get there, it is as though the very authority is, is present. So Paul dispatches Timothy. When Timothy gets on the scene, it's as though the Apostle Paul is standing right there with him. Look at this story. This is amazing when you understand authorized agency. Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 21, verse 33. Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves as authorized representatives to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son, the ultimate authorized agent he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son but when the vine growers saw the son they said among themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and seize his inheritance they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and kill him killed him therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. What in the world is he talking about? Andrew? Who is dead set on killing the son? The vine growers, the Pharisees, the... Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You ready for some heavy theology? Who are the new set of vine growers that the, the, the property is rented out to? Gentiles. Paul. Yeah. Peter, the apostles, become the new vine growers to tend to the vineyard known as Israel. Uh, question. Paul gets a hold of Timothy and says, Timothy, go yep. to this place. Yes. And you're going to be my vicar, if you will. Yes, exactly. And lo and behold, uh, he gets to where he's going, and the people say, well, where are your papers? How do we know that you are actually the vicar of Paul? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how can you prove to us that you are? Why should we listen to you? Mm -hmm. And what does Timothy do in that particular case? Does he have uh, a stamp or <laughs> a letter? Or Business card, something. Yes. <laughs> something on his tablet. Yes, yes, actually he does. Uh, these are called, Terry's onto it, uh, these are called letters of recommendation. They are authorizing documents. They really are. And they're very common. Turn to Romans 16. I want you to appreciate this. To help you to understand authorized agency. And when, uh, when the sent one arrives, it's as though the sender is standing right there. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Cancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, as though an apostle is standing with you, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. When I send Phoebe, you better take care of her, just like you're going to take care of me. She is an authorized agent of Paul at that point. And uh, some even argue that she may be carrying the letter, possibly, or other very special documents that Paul may be carrying. So, when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he is epitomizing authorized agency. You get him, and you really do get God. Does that make sense? And then verse verse seven is, uh, in a very touching language. Uh, if you had known me, and that David is plural. If you, if if all y'all had known me, you would have known my father also. And look at this. Proleptic discipleship. Philip is addressing a matter of the strength of their faith before it happens. From now on you know him and have seen him. <laughs> he pronounces over them in a proleptic way. These matters are settled. Wow. How's that for trust? How's that for believing and half-hearted disciples who are all suffering from pathogenic fear and pathogenic doubt. And he still says, from now on, you know him, and you've seen him. And, they, and, and, 
And you and I get to sit, sit back and go, boy, this is tough. Because in Matthew 28, when they're going up the hill to receive the Great Commission, what does it say? Some still doubted. <laughs> maybe it was Thomas or maybe it was someone else. And yet here he pronounces in a proleptic discipleship way. I, you guys have figured it out. You know the way. We're settled. Beautiful language. So, all right, you're the gifted body of Christ. Care for yourselves. Why does this matter? What spiritual nutrition can you draw from on 567? How do we pull that into our world today? classroom saying, listen up guys, these questions are going to be on the test. I guarantee it, I'm writing the test, these questions are going to be on the test. Yes. And woe be to you if you get these wrong. Well, lo and behold, they take the test, they get the questions wrong, and the teacher is really angry. Did you not believe me? I've been teaching this class for an entire semester, why didn't you believe that I was telling you the truth about these questions? Uh, what do I have to do to get you to believe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Parallel to uh, parenthood. Train your children to do certain things, act certain ways, and then when they get out on their own, they don't always fight to do what they've been shown and taught. <laughs> yeah. And about the only thing that mom and dad can say is, you'll figure it out. Because you've already said all you can say. Yeah. If you yeah. keep saying the same thing, you're back. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see grace? I mean, think of the harsh things that could have been said at this point. By the way, it's a matter of hours before Jesus will be arrested and laid in the tomb. It's, it's right on the heels of his worst physical nightmare, and he is speaking gracefully. We have to take medicine to deal with our panic and stress when we're going to the dentist. We've got, got a dentist appointment in two hours. Oh, oh, it's just awful. I just, I hate those shots, you know. He's going to be crucified in a matter of hours, and he is engaging in proleptic discipleship and grace with these guys. Is that not amazing? Absolutely amazing to me. Anyone else? Why this matters. I have a question. Yes, sir. John could have used any words to describe the way, but why do you think he picked truth and life in particular? Yeah. Jump in. Why do you think? Truth sets you free. Good. Yeah, 
accept what he is saying as the truth. Yeah. And it lessens your burden and you are more readily to accept. Mm -hmm. and to me, it does reinforce, like I said, hey, this is the way. This mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. is going to lead you to God the Father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So all of this is spot on, Philip. In addition, I would add, in keeping with Jewish wisdom literature, like Proverbs uh, and the prophets, when you, when you look at the usage of the word truth or even the word way and even life, you often see those all integrated throughout the wisdom literature of Israel. Okay? And even in writings that are not in our version of the, of the Old Testament. In other words, for an Israeli male, their mindset, when you get wisdom, you are on the right way. The path, there's a path. When you take the wise path, truth and life are always in tow, always. And so in keeping with that Jewish motif, and it's in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, Isaiah 55, right? And all through the Proverbs, that when you get on the right way, truth and life naturally follow behind that. So in all likelihood, Jesus is really borrowing from Isaiah to make sure that all those in this very Israeli kind of context right now get that he is, Andrew, the full embodiment of all things wise and wonderful, even in the Jewish sense of that in their wisdom literature, their sapiential literature. Yeah. Yeah. So a good measurement in, in your own life would be if you can see fruits of truth and fruits of right. You know you're on the right way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The truth is hard. Just, but, okay, so here's an example. This is not a moral example. This is just how real life works. So uh, all the trim, every single bit of tree and cabinetry in our house is all the same color. All of it, the whole house, okay? And I used up the last of the can and I saved the lid and I wrote on it, do not throw away. That must have meant something else to someone else. It's gone. And so the trip to Home Depot was made to color match the trip. And we got the color home and I'm painting and it's drying. And I'm thinking, that doesn't look like it's matching. I just kept painting. I mean, I just kept thinking, you know, that doesn't quite. And it's the next day when you go, the truth is, that does not match. You know, Ella, you really, you do, you just keep painting, hoping that you are just wrong. It'll and you, your eyes are telling you, it does not match. It'll cure in a couple of weeks to be the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it dries, yeah. it'll be all right. When it dries a little bit, it's no. It's kind of like our pink light tan yeah, yeah. I mean, we want so bad. We want something so bad. We can look straight at it and not admit the truth because it's costly to go back and get another can and redo everything you just did. Hopefully, which is what I did today. Think of the protection that's on there. What's that, sir? Think of the protection that's on that room. That's right. 
three or four copies. Do I dare relate a maybe? Oh, my goodness. No, I, guess, I guess so. I won't do it if you don't want me to. No. But it actually fits. Yeah, come on. Give us a story, Dad. Yes. You need to stand up and blow the whistle. Oh, you want me to stand? Stand and blow the whistle. <laughs> um, in the Navy, they have inspections all the time. And because I was in supply, ours was called... Uh, the supply management inspection and it comes around every 18 months or whatever. It's a big deal if the consequences for not passing this is flogging up his yard arm and all this good stuff. It's just not good. And uh, I was in uh, S1 division and we were in charge of uh, the budget, keeping track of parts and issuing and all this type of stuff. And our inventory count was very important. It had to match what was in the drawer with what we had written down on our cards. This was before computers. And I'm getting ready and I'm standing up there in front of the troops and I got my Cracker Jack second class petty officer said, Scott, come here. I said, uh, <coughs> these inspectors who are experienced chiefs and senior chiefs know all the tricks. Don't try and fool them. But when I come down to our main storeroom and the inspector says, Chief, you got any coffee and donuts up in the chief's mess? And of course I did. Fresh donuts made by our galley. He is giving tact approval to look at his inventory that he was going to check and see if we matched. And, and Scott could go ahead and look at it and then make sure that we got most of them right. Don't get them all right. That's not going to happen. But make sure that we did well. And the chiefs would do that if they were impressed with the overall environment that they walked into. Uh, and so I tell Scott, you know, do you understand? He says, yeah, Chief, I got it. Well, lo and behold, that's what happened. Uh, I took him up. Chief stayed up there 15, 20 minutes, uh, shooting the breeze with him to come back down. And our inventory was good. It was about 92. I was hoping that it was going to be somewhere around 96, 97. And we passed and everything was all right. But I called Scott over and I said, did you do what I told you? Did you check that list? And he said, no, Chief. I was afraid. I couldn't do it. Okay, I wasn't going to chew him out. But I said, I did say, didn't you believe me? Yeah. Didn't you understand what I said? And he said, yeah, I was just afraid. I was yeah. afraid we were going to get caught. And of course, I related that to exactly sure. to what Jesus was saying. I hope that wasn't too long or too involved. <laughs> but it... Uh, Next time I won't tell the Navy story. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So.
Good stuff. Good stuff. Please don't equate that I was putting myself in Jesus' spot. <laughs> <laughs> Not at that time.